everybody, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 4 of History's Greatest Idiots, the show where we look back through all of human history and uh, show you examples of giant cock-ups and screw-ups and terrible messes so that you can learn lessons from people's mistakes and never repeat those mistakes ever again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. We like making mistakes. And sometimes, as you'll find out in this episode, those mistakes make a lot of money. So we'll get into that in a minute. But joining me as ever is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing, my friend? I am doing really good. Yeah. Been, uh, That's really good. Having a really good time getting out and about and saying hi to people and going to birthday parties and doing things, yeah. having nachos out in public. Oh, that's good so stuff. <laughs> I, I like uh, So uh, just, just first off the bat, um, Bright Eyes, Kimberly. Thank you for joining us. Hey, fellas. I hope you're both feeling strong and healthy. Um, <laughs> I'm feeling slightly better than I was. I think I mentioned last episode I'd had a cardiac episode. We still don't know what it is. I'm still waiting for a bunch of medical tests that the NHS are, are apparently getting me sorted with. But these things take so long. Um, I am feeling a little bit stronger and I will say this now, I've had a lot of problems recently with my mental health, uh, probably more than I am willing to discuss on the podcast, but I have been taking steps to try and make those things better. And one of the things I've taken has been going out for walks and I've managed to, because initially after my heart issue, I couldn't do anything for like two, three weeks. Like physically, I was on the sofa, sleep, just sleeping the whole time. It's really difficult to do stuff. And yesterday and today, I've been out for walks, gentle walks, not like hikes or anything like that. And I feel kind of good. I did feel very tired after them. And I couldn't tell because I was getting out of breath, but I'm like, no, I can push through this. And I was able to do that. So... I'm really pleased that being able to push through the out of breath thing isn't like actually causing my heart to explode anymore. So it's definite good improvement, you know, maybe a, a little bit stronger, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. It's all about patience because time is on my side sort of. Um, but you were saying you've been going out like that thing about like, let me just say that thing about nachos in public. That's how I'd love to do that. <laughs> I'd love to do that. I'd love to be able to just like go out to a nice Mexican restaurant with my wife and my friends and just like just sit and chill and eat some really oh, nice yeah. authentic food like i would love to be able to do that i i wouldn't know I, like i i guess i would call it authentic it was <laughs> it's the macho nachos and they're okay. delicious it's a huge giant like pan of nachos with shredded chicken and guacamole oh. and all that stuff oh, that now good. i can eat whatever i want Nice, yes, because of your yeah. surgery. Yes, yeah, I forgot to ask. Um, did you get the? Did you save it in in a little bottle of formaldehyde? They won't let me have it. That's such a shame. We could yeah. have sold that when we were big time. We could have sold that for so much money. I, I'm gonna get some pig intestine and throw some rocks in it. And <laughs> I mean, no, I, no, yes, it's, I, authentic. Home. it's not like Belle Delphine's water or anything like that. It's not like a fucking bath water. It's, it's real. But could you imagine like, yeah, I, I just have this nightmare. Like eventually the podcast takes off and we've got like hundreds of thousands of people listening every single time. And then like, we're like, Hey, you know, we got Derek's 
gallbladder here and we're going to auction it off. And the guy that keeps bidding on it is just some weird-looking scientist back in the room, <laughs> just going like this with his hands. Oh, <laughs> hundred thousand. Oh, goodness. And, um, <laughs> I just picture that it's like, now I have the perfect clone. Just like, jeez, two Derricks. Uh, Kimberly here, that sucks. I was saving my money for the auction. Aww. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll chop off a toe. You'll be fine. We'll give you that instead. Um, uh, not really. Um, so uh, speaking of Kimberly, I want to give a big shout out to our paying Patreons, who include Dilly Bob, um, Andrew Zavara, who's also recently subscribed to our YouTube channel. Thank you so much. Kimberly Johnson, who's joining us live, and the OG Jesse Christ, our first ever patron. If you would like to join them in slinging us some money on Patreon so that you can get exclusive behind-the-scenes footage, random gifts, and also scripts and access to all of the stuff that we don't share on social media about our lives, then go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots and we're actually going to be recording a patreon exclusive episode probably next weekend at some point so yeah that sounds good yeah i think i'm looking for i really enjoy doing those with you i feel like we shoot the shit a little bit more than we do here which is kind of amazing to think but we're a little bit more formal here but on patreon yeah. totally informal it's, it's yeah. all poor and uncut it's it's a lot like just hanging out with us which yeah, it's, it's kind of like this, but different. It's like a really weird conversation where we do all the talking and you just sort of listen. But yeah. it's, it's totally informal. Please. There join. was a thing that they had back um, when we were younger where there was the, you would listen to people talk and you mm. feel like friendly with them. Uh, it would come out of speakers in your car when you drive yeah. around. They, they had, that yeah, they were kind of wacky as well. Yeah. Who, who, what, what was that? Oh, yeah. Anyway, it, it's yeah. it's in decline now. We're in the ascendancy, and we've both we crossed both mediums. We've both done radio and podcasting, so we've we've crossed both worlds. Yeah. We're the elder millennials who can remember Betamax, but also do linear editing. So yes, <laughs> we've crossed both worlds. Um, so also, if you would like to follow, uh, we've mentioned the Patreon, so that's Patreon.com/slash History's Greatest Idiots for all that amazing stuff. But also, if you want to follow us on Instagram, go to at history's greatest idiots and on twitter slash x you can find us on uh, greatest idiots and also on youtube if you search for history's greatest idiots you can see most if not all of our videos and a bunch of shorts as well behind the scenes um kind of uh, raw footage as well so we'll have that up there eventually go and subscribe on youtube we've got 129 subscribers i feel big time heck yeah we have three figures um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's a bunch of stuff going on, and we've got some kind of really interesting topics this week. Um, mine is going to be quite short, but really interesting and controversial. Derek, before we get to that, can you tell us about your idiot for this week, please? Okay, well, this one I thought was going to be fun, and yes. then it kind of got weird. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like everything in life. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know how it is out there uh for the rest of the world but here in the u.s i think it's safe to say that most of us have seen those late night infomercials yes and absolutely I've, I've got a juvenile sense of humor or i, I at least had um, well I, no i still do um <laughs> and i had a respect for this this late night pitchman mostly because he was selling you kitchen gadgets and he was using double entendres like uh you're gonna love my nuts oh no it's the peach sweaty thing it's like the whole 
yeah, it's uh, only it's not an SNL sketch written by Tina Fey. It's an actual right. fucking double entendre. Oh yes. my god. Yeah, it's it's it's. it's I'm going to tell you today about the one and only Sham Wow guy, or the Slap Chop guy, or whatever you want to call him. He was born um, Offer Shlomi on the 25th of April, 1964, in uh, Beersheba, Israel. And uh, you all know him as Vince Offer, which is what I'm going to call him because I don't want to butcher names that I can't pronounce and didn't practice. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so he's born in Israel. He and his family spend uh, his five or six-year-old years in the UK, and he is raised in Brooklyn, New York. As a kid, he's drawn in by those old Crazy Eddie ads. Which... Who we've covered. Crazy yeah. Eddie Antar. Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, alias David Cohen uh, when he was on the run in Israel. Oh, my God. Ah. World's collide. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he kind of is inspired by that sort of hustler work ethic and... Mm -hmm. He's earning money, shoveling his neighbor's driveway alongside his friends. As a teen, he's working into the night, hustling his ass off. I'm guessing he was trying to earn that money because he made the decision to drop out of school at 17, mm. ditch New York City, head to L.A., and pursue his dream of being a filmmaker. Okay. Which, like, it takes money to make that leap. Yeah, it does. I, I applaud the effort and the idea of chasing his dreams. I think maybe he could have used a little bit more guidance and planning on how he could have done it. Sure. But I mean, it's, it's let's what the seventies. Yeah. And he sounds like a bit They're of a free that. spirit, even for the time. Like, and also this, you know, this is a time when obviously we talk about the chances of success in Hollywood, like significantly lower than what people actually imagine and see what happened. But this is a time when you could go out, to Hollywood in the 70s and be part of the filmmaking industry in some shape or form with very little qualifications because it's not quite the closed door industry that it is now where you have to go to this school or have this qualification to be like this level. Like you, could, you could go out there and meet the right person and just start in the industry. So that was a possibility. Yeah. And I think now you have to do it more if you're going to break in more guerrilla through creator methods or, yes. yeah, or you have to you have no, to have either. a pre-existing audience or a brand or right. like standing in the world before you can become a filmmaker or you have to have the right education. There's no like, there's no groundswell of like, oh my God, this like kid who like came from nothing is now an amazing filmmaker. Like those are super rare now, way more rare than they used to be. Yeah. Well, and he it didn't happen that way for him, as you know. Well, and yeah. you're going to find out even more. So <laughs> Um, in 1986, he officially changed his name to Vince Offer because I'm assuming that was because of acting and his comedy and filmmaking aspirations because sure. uh, Vince Shlomi. Is yeah, it's like it's a difficult, although Hollywood is obviously has a, a large like number of Jewish filmmakers. Um, I think for a mainstream audience, if your name is going to appear on credits, um, that people want them their names to be memorable and easily said, and unfortunately, Vince Shlomi is like not as easy as Vince Offer. Right, and that's like when I was in radio, I I was Derek Dutch because Dutch is easier. Cut, you know. So anyway, uh, yeah, 
<laughs> so he changed his name and early on in his career he's doing sketch comedy and s submitting uh, these sketch comedy things to public access tv channels kind of like andy kaufman did awesome um he'd call the series of sketch comedy things that he did the underground comedy show which he later made into a, a film and that film is considered to be one of the worst films ever made it played at one theater on may 16th in 1999 Earned a grand total of eight hundred and fifty-six dollars, according wow. to IMDb. <laughs> I think we could make a film right now and make more money than that. Jesus Christ! Possibly. Like, oh. I mean, we're we got to be getting close to that with the podcast by now. I think so. <laughs> I mean, we didn't do it in a day, though. We didn't. No, it's taken three years. Uh, but and, and I'm not going to crap on anybody that does anything. No. At least he did it. Exactly. Uh, Good for him. It's kind of like when we were talking about Morrissey, and we talked about how. He did a New York Times book. He wrote a book about, uh, sorry, not New York Times, New York Dolls uh, book. And it sold 3,000 copies. And I was like, you know what? Good for him. 3,000 copies of a, a music book. That's that's like really well done for you, Morrissey. But this guy, you know, got a film released, made a few hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that's in, good. in 1991, he, he did some writing for In Living Color. He was hired as a writer for uh, several skits on that show. But... You know, as things are still today, life is hard for a part-time writer in Hollywood, and he had to get out there and do his hustling thing oh, yeah. and start picking up funds, working at flea markets and selling kitchen utensils to fund his dream. It wasn't in his plan to do infomercials full-time. It just kind of sort of happened. His wow. passion was for doing movies, but it led him to buy and sell products on those late night infomercials instead. And he used those paychecks to fund that movie. And that movie was his first acting gig. Good for him. He, he, he Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, that shit. Yep. You know, get out there yeah. and make Goodwill hunting, but I'm sure it wasn't Goodwill hunting. No, it was the underground comedy movie that was released in 1999 on May 16th and made $865. Nice of which he spent around $500,000 of his own hard-earned hustler money to make. What? Yeah. He had a half-million-dollar budget, and he didn't even make $1,000 back. Fuck. Right. Now, DVDs of the film were marketed on infomercials because that's what he's good at. Yeah, sure. Uh, but by 2002, he was bankrupt, and the home distribution plans kind of got shelved for a while. Not surprised. Also, that film led to numerous lawsuits, which what? didn't help him. Yeah. What, what kind of lawsuits? Like, well, I'll get, to, of... I'll, get to that, I'll get to that in just a minute here. Oh, uh, he, had, he had to go back to doing the kitchen utensil sales and the slap chopping thing at the swap meets to support himself and then raise money to complete the film project when it wow. flopped. So he went back to that, but with a twist. He was staying up late at night watching uh, Comedy Central. And right sure. around this time is when those Girls Gone Wild infomercials were on. Oh, no way. Yeah, I remember and those. That, that inspired him to, to do more in-your-face, catchy, provocative, late-night infomercial stuff for his products. That inspired wow. the, you're going to love my nuts, the um, dumb shit that he says in there that, that I love so much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But anyway, uh, he, 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 it helped him finish his project 
and get it out there. He, he claims to what I can't confirm it because I didn't research it enough. And I apologize. I failed you there all. Um, 500 or 50,000 direct and then 50,000 later. So 100,000 total copies of his movie, which is oh, that's still bad. really good. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess I mean, I'm trying to think how many, how much DVDs would have been back then, like 10 bucks a pop. Like, I mean, 1995, you'd imagine. Yeah, like like 10, 10, 10 bucks, something like that. Maybe maybe seven fifty, something like that. But he's probably made now, his money back after cost. You know, he's probably yeah. made that five hundred thousand back. Good for him. But yeah, but then now comes the lawsuit. Oh, <laughs> so the underground comedy movie was the subject of a lawsuit filed on September twenty third, nineteen ninety eight, by Vince Offer himself against the twentieth century Fox and Bobby and Peter Farley. The co-directors of There's Something About Mary. What? He tried yeah. to sue the Farley brothers. Yes. He claimed that 14 scenes from There's Something About Mary were lifted from his film. Okay. The Farley yeah. brothers said, we've never heard of this guy. Who the fuck are you? Never, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've never heard of this movie. This is a bunch of baloney. Uh, yeah. Apparently, the judge believed him. The case was dismissed in 2000, and the judge ordered Vince to pay $66,000 in attorney's fees. Oh dear, that's gonna sting. That's a lot. Yeah. Of, a lot of spoons you're gonna have to sell to get that money back. Holy shit! And then in October 2000, Vince sued Anna Nicole Smith for four million dollars, <sighs> claiming that she had agreed to be in the movie, but backed out in 1996, saying that she feared that the movie would be detrimental to her career, whatever oh, yeah. that was. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know how Anna Nicole's career could have been sabotaged by a cheap film to be honest i don't i don't either he claimed that the result of her backing out of the film cost him uh, a loss of a hundred thousand dollars in the crew like a loss of crew money and crew time oh um don't know how that translates to suing her for four million dollars but whatever do you have emotional damage as a result of that like where do you where do you get that extra 3.9 3.9 million from it. That's crazy. It had to be because she wasn't in it is why it flopped. Maybe. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just making stuff up here at this point. So allegedly, um, but not allegedly. I don't know. He sued her. And, and then finally in 2004, he sent out a press release through um, PRnewsonline.com announcing his intention to sue the church of Scientology. Oh, why? Why okay. would you go after Scientology? Well, in 1997, while he was in production on the underground comedy movie, mm-hmm. the Church of Scientology allegedly began uh, a large-scale smear campaign against Vince and his film because he was a Scientologist at the time. Oh, okay. And he claimed that the Scientologists at the Celebrity Center in Hollywood threatened his uh, Scientology friends in the movie business that if they didn't write malicious reports against him and his movie, um, that like bad things would happen. You know, Scientology, alleged Scientology stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, so this is an interesting one because I kind of don't believe this guy a lot of the time. Like some of this stuff doesn't seem true, but then again, we have seen the Scientology playbook and it doesn't sound a million miles away. Right. Well, seen. That's and I'm not calling him a grifter. 
but no. a classic move is you, you you sprinkle in elements of truth yeah. and you 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 weave yourself right in there with people that are actually having bad shit happen to them for sure and then you can be a dick and get away with it not that yeah. he's doing that no not what i'm saying that's what grifters um, typically do is what you're saying right um now i wasn't able to find anything for sure um but i know yeah like you said the the church has done things like that they've yeah. done some shady things but i also know yeah. that if you've seen that movie you can judge for yourself and agree with what they said or not or if you know they were told to say it sucked um, right so so what you're saying is they may not have needed any actual encouragement from the church to write bad reviews maybe not and maybe and not. the most fascinating part about the lawsuit though is what it revealed about scientology's attitude towards um his movie and okay. their belief that the movie wasn't just unworthy of scientologists that it was a criminal act and i got an excerpt from the lawsuit oh, that i'm going to read out. to you here that Please. says in 1996 and 1997 offer started uh, started to invest the profit he was making from the sales of the chopper into a movie for the project for his underground comedy movie a quote gross out film in scientology's perspective this was a bad act which in scientology language is called an overt because plaintiff failed to spend such money on scientology courses and processes which were considered morally superior to plaintiff's movie project in addition scientology condemned said film as quote bad art which it in no way wanted to be associated with uh yeah I, it goes I it, yeah it goes on a little okay. bit here and it says that uh some scientologists falsely accused the plaintiffs of being a pornographer a sex pervert a criminal who committed a crime against scientology by spending more money on his movie project than on scientology courses and processing which okay. i guess is a bad thing i don't in that to their eyes sure, yeah. yeah and i'm generally not a fan of scientology but this one i mean It's, it's, okay. If you've seen the movie, uh, they're so, not they're not far off. And I'm going to read a review of it later. One of his yeah. other ones. I, I have a couple of things on that Scientology quote. Um, first of all, he's spending money that he should be spending on us. That he he's spending money on other bitches. Like it, you know, like I mean, come on. You get yeah. money from people. You can't demand that money like, oh, you spend your money exclusively with us. That's not how cons work, okay? You can't just say, oh, you have to spend all your money with us. You have to, like, you've got to be subtle about that shit. Not that I'm saying they're conning people, but I'm saying that that's how, you know. Anyway, uh, the other thing, um, the film was a travesty and, and, like, really offensive. Have they seen Battlefield Earth? <laughs> that is fucking terrible. And that's, like... Scientology Central, that film. It's, it's awful. It's fair. A disaster like, of a film. Awful on every level. It's unwatchable. Like, it's not like one of those, it's so bad, it's funny films. You just can't watch it. It's painful to watch. So, yeah. And that had a uh, lot more than 500,000. I think that was like 40 million or something crazy like that. Um, and also, Scientology calling someone a sex pervert. Like, <laughs> I 
have they seen some of their members? Um, you have very shaky ground there to be calling right. someone a pervert. Like, you know, I shouldn't be laughing so much, but you're nailing it right, right on the yeah, head. There. Like, have you ever seen a statement by like a politician or an organization, and you look at that statement and you go, and it's like them condemning someone or something, and like, and you look at it and you go, are you talking about yourself? Um, because that's what that statement is. Like everything they've said there, you could level straight at Scientology, and you would not be wrong. You've kind of got to wonder if they're like, we weren't going to say anything, but you didn't we give us our anything, fucking money. He's the wrong kind of pervert. Like, <laughs> well, he didn't pay us. If he would have he paid us, pay we wouldn't us. have fucking meant. We wouldn't have said anything. We would have if said he was, his movie a was pervert great. and he paid us. He'd have been fine. We could have hidden it all for him. Uh, allegedly, um, we're just allegedly. talking out our asses. Uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of toothless these days. I'm not too concerned about Scientologists, but no, but that's amazing that we've now got someone who is possibly a grifter and a church that has got some stuff going on that may not be particularly savory um like this is an amazing fascinating battle that i would love to just sit with popcorn and just slowly watch unfold well that's where we leave it um <laughs> so, so he's sued them and um that's where we leave it vince's whole infomercial empire though kind of stemmed from that mix of flea markets and girls gone wild and the sex pervert stuff from the church he was in a uh, cult sure. as he calls it mm. that's his own words he was in a cult for uh, 20 years he says that's uh, good good for him for saying that not gonna yeah. say anything different you know? uh like as he started it all with the flea market uh, like he, he he started it with a flea market find in mm -hmm. 2006 with a, a neat little not quite a towel not quite a chamois okay like a microfiber cloth Thing. It was this neat little thing he found at the, the the flea market while he was out trying to find his next product that could hold 10 times its weight. And he's like, this is it. He went to Germany, visits the factory where they make it, and he decides to incorporate, you know, elements of the fact that he went out to Germany into his ad. And that's when he does his first snappy ShamWow infomercial in, in 2007 nice. with his big budget of $20,000. And he actually received some uh, acclaim from critics for his filming of that and his delivery of that ad. Roger Slate, yeah, well, up. it was Slate gave him um, praise, saying he had an impressive and subtle mastery of the pitchman's art. Oh, wow. With lines such as, you know, the Germans always make good stuff. Ooh. <laughs> That's the sort of fucking humor that was in his movies, though, and he doesn't understand why it's like it's problematic. Yeah, <laughs> wow, um, but amazing. Actually, as a pitch, that is kind of um, eye-catching. I guess it you is. Would say. It works. Like, Got your attention for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, so with that, they they also compared him to Billy Mays. You know, yep. the Billy man. Mays here. Yeah. Yeah, and so guy. a star is born mm. here with the Sham Wow guy. Wow! And <laughs> now, remember when I said he visited the place, yeah, where it was made, and he was impressed by the product that it could hold ten times its weight. Sure. 
Well, Consumer Reports came out and reported that the infomercial for ShamWow initially reported that he was claiming the product held 20 times its weight in liquid. Okay. And they're like, hey, you can't do that. Yeah, that's a lie. <laughs> so the infomercial was changed, and he claims ShamWow holds 12 times its weight in liquid. I mean, still impressive, but like, yeah, he's like, he's been Close. oddly specific with that. <laughs> like that's a number like 12 if you'd said like to me like it holds seven and a half times its weight or like 11 times its weight i'm like okay that sounds so specific that it must be real right. whereas if, if you say 20 times its weight i'm like hold on a minute i feel like you're rounding that up you know yeah well they eventually changed it to 10 times its weight because mm. when consumer reports did its own test the product uh held 10 times its weight but no more I, I don't understand why you wouldn't just lead with that. Like, that's an impressive boast. Why would it was, you double that? It was the thing that sold him on it. Right. But he just had to do it bigger, I guess. Of course he did. I don't know. I mean, yeah. it, it, it to me seems like he was being deceptive on purpose. But I mean, like, I guess a hustler's got to eat, whatever. I'd love to meet this guy's girlfriend and, like, just just show her a ruler. Be like, listen, this is what six inches looks like. Oh, okay, just so you know. Jeez. Oh, uh, man. But, but sorry, carry on, please. Um, here's another thing, though, about deceptiveness. Uh, Pitchman Billy Mays mm. had been promoting a similar product oh. called Zorbies about two years prior to Catchy. the sham while coming out. Right. Okay. So he's really borrowing from the playbook now. Yeah. And, and those commercials for the Zorbies did a lot of the same product demonstrations that were shown in ShamWow. Wow. Okay, so, so really, wow. Doing his own spin on yeah. somebody else's Carnival Barker flea market salesman pitch with wow. double entendre pervert sex stuff in it. Interesting. So it's, it's almost parody to a certain extent. Like he's just weaving in slightly different elements. That's really interesting. Like right, that. and the, the comedy thing is good if he was getting the laughs and going after him for the right reason, but he, he tends to, like, in my opinion, and this is my opinion, like, punch down at right. the comedy. Mm. And it's like, you you could have, if you worked on your craft, honed it a little more, like, you could probably be awesome. You're just not taking criticism or honing your craft to do it better. You're taking what you know and doing it the easy way and saying, fuck you if you don't like it. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm also not a big fan of punching down. And that seems yeah. to be a big thing. One of my big problems with people like Joe Rogan and and comedians like that is that there is a... And, and recently, like with, with Ricky Gervais and Dave Chappelle, they'll say that, oh, well, you know, people world's gone soft or, you know, you can't say anything controversial. Like, I, I just don't like the fact that you're punching down like a lot of the time you're going after people that have got an incredibly difficult time in life why are you making their lives harder right you know? and i mean i i hope that that nobody feels like i'm doing that ever i mean i don't know the, i mean we go after quite big names here so i think we're okay the i'm not going after the person so much as no. the act and what they're doing like right yes. here i'm trying to go over the deceptiveness when he could have just done it straight he could have yeah. done it 
he could have he could have done it better and he knows it i also feel like like it's almost like a sure thing isn't it like a product that holds 10 times its weight good salesman right like construction of that narrative the right filming the right presentation that's like a surefire success it's one of those things that sells itself but you then have to say like with the double entendres and like the sex stuff is he just also trying to make it about himself at that point as well like trying to make himself the success as well as the product maybe and that very well could be because he had those aspirations and the thing is is he's charismatic and he's a good salesperson and he could have stuck to just doing that or like picked a lane or whatever. But I mean, anyway, he, he used to sell kitchen utensils. And in 2008, he had his next big viral moment with the veggie chopping flea market salesman days thing, taking its resurgence. And he shows up for the slap chop and the nice. Grady. And that yes. slap chop is the one with that handheld device with the blades in it, and you bang it on the table, and it chops all your stuff and your nuts. And we've everything. got one of them. We've got one yeah. of them. Me too. <laughs> yeah, and I, we haven't used it in years. It's just sat there in the cupboard. But man, I at the time, the time. I, I, I do you use it all the time. Oh yeah. I, I I, when I do use it, I'm like, why don't I use this more often? Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. It's perfect for mincing garlic because I chop my fingers if I mince garlic. Right. Okay. Yeah. That I like makes it sense. And I can yeah, just be like, <laughs> <laughs> we just, um, we just use one of those crushes, garlic crushes uh, oh. thing. Yeah. And, and also we buy frozen garlic and like you can get like, it, it, like four, four garlic cloves in one thing, just shove it in the food. I'm so lazy. Uh, <laughs> I'd, I I just like banging on the table with it and saying you're gonna love my nuts while I do it. So it's, he won. He won. Yes. With that. Now the Grady I never heard of. Mm. No, I never heard of that. Um, it it was a cheese grater, like a okay. um, it's like a handheld device with internal blades, and the user would put the cheese in it, and it would turn the outside of it. Um, for our fans of weed usage and potheads and fans of the hightailing through history's uh podcast Hi, you might recognize it as a, as a as a herb grinder or weed grinder but for cheese right so <laughs> like, that's that's really good that's like you know when like people talk about oh i've got skills that can cross over then that's essentially what they're doing here they're taking a product for for potheads and and turning it into a cheese thing for which seems levels. weird to me but yeah, I guess it works. I don't know. Yeah. I might go try to find one. I don't know if they're still out, but anyway. Oh, your cheese. Yeah, right. My cheese grinder. Yes. <laughs> might want that to clean that weird. out and wash it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, his aggressiveness and the use of double entendres um, is what got him loads of attention and kind of blew him up and made him go viral. According to Adweek blog, uh, it helped him with that sort of delivery become a man who could beat Billy Mays at his own game, which is essentially what he was doing. Cause funny story, Mays had been promoting a similar product called the quick chop utensil and the cool. quick grater utensil prior to the slap chop and the Grady. So he's just like copying this guy. He's like his stalker at this point. Yeah. And, and in his jokes. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to do your stuff, but like weird out with dick jokes and I'm going to sell yeah. the same stuff and do the, I'm just going to do it, but funnier. 
Yeah. What? With juvenile humor. Basically. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Maze actually went on Adam Carolla and, and told him that Vince not only stole the Zorbies product, but he stole the Quick Chop idea and the Grady product. I mean, so that's how he felt about it. I mean, I can understand that because this guy is like your mirror image, like just constantly doing everything you're doing, but slightly later and louder and, and full of dick and fart jokes. Exactly. It would, um, it would get to you a little bit. Would drive me nuts. Especially yeah. if they were better dick and fart jokes than mine. Ah! Drive you nuts. <laughs> uh, you got me. Yeah. Uh, um, in 2009, DJ Steve Porter posted an electro-themed slap chop rap with an auto-tune remix that grew a cult following. And um, by this time, business was booming in 2009, and he was able to hire out some help, take some time off for himself. Good. And then he got himself back in the headlines for some bad shit. Oh, okay. Because things turned south for him when mugshots showed up on the internet after a brutal fight between him and a Miami-based prostitute. Oh, no. So... Oh, that's bad. He was kissing this sex worker in mm. a hotel room when she bit his tongue. Okay. When he realized that she wasn't just nibbling on his tongue and she was trying to bite the whole damn thing off... Ooh. He responded by giving her two black eyes and a swollen mouth and some various bruises. Holy shit. Um, I think you get someone off you and then you run. You don't, like, continue the assault. Yeah. I mean, according to him, the incident happened after a 12-hour drinking binge. Okay. Not an excuse, but I guess uh, an explanation. Uh, they both yeah. were charged with assault. Uh, but the prosecutor declined to prosecute either one of them. Wow. Okay. That's quite a surprise. Uh, in an interview with NBC, Vince said that it actually probably saved his life, adding that the fame didn't change him, but money can buy anything, and the more you want girls around you, the just crazier shit gets. Okay, but, I can uh, kind of understand that. The mugshot uh, showed Vince with a battered face and then also showed the battered hooker and they made international news all over the place then in 2001 he was sued by a former personal assistant who alleged that he stalked her emotionally abused her and forced her to be with him at all times okay groped her and offered her twenty thousand dollars for a vacation with her and, and her family in exchange for her eggs what her eggs yeah wow i guess she had chickens i don't <laughs> I don't uh twenty thousand dollars, they better be good fucking chickens. Yeah, and you'd think maybe he's gonna be done for right now, but mm -hmm. he's not. No. So he cuts back on his drinking. Mm-hmm. Good. Like a good turnaround. Here we go. We do like um, a good turnaround. He went seeking a return to the spotlight, okay. getting his shit together. In 2012, he returns to television selling the sticky. The sticky. Which is that reusable lint roller that comes in three sizes. The little sticky, the sticky, and the big sticky. I love those things. <laughs> I am constantly doing, like, yeah, I have dog hair everywhere. Those things are super useful. My God. And he, he went back to making it comical. He makes references to his other two commercials for the ShamWow and the Slap Chop in his own infomercial. So it's like some okay. Inception type shit. Wow. Um, says his catchphrases. Pokes fun at his 2009 prostitute beating arrest. 
in, in which, yeah, in which he f- posts uh, poses for a fake mugshot. Fuck, that's dark. Whoops. Yeah. Almost had me, dude. Why? Like, how is that funny? Like, two, three years later, you're like, I know the charges are dropped. I guess he's like processing it, but like, why would you highlight that in that forum? That's not smart. Well, I cut back on my drinking. Now everything's okay, and I can make fun of the fact that I beat up a woman. Uh, yeah. I realized that it was in defense. It'd be kind of like Mel Gibson doing that. Like, could you imagine? Like, uh, do you remember that time I said that those horrible anti-Semitic things? Oh my god, I was so drunk. Like, yeah, it's, I don't think that's ever going to happen. That's not going to go away. Right. I feel like if I did something like that in defense or not, things that I've done that have harmed other people, I feel bad about and don't joke about. Yeah, I don't. Years and years and years and years later. Yeah, because that woman might see that. You know, right. That might bring back horrible memories. Her family might see that. Don't joke about that. Yeah. Wow. But he thought it was funny. He thought his funny was back. It sparked his d- desire to return to comedic filmmaking. And in 2013, he did another feature film, The Inappropriate Comedy. Okay. Which, uh, it was a film that was called Stunningly Awful by the New York Times. Well, the <laughs> review is a good review, right? Yeah. Well, I'd like to read one of the reviews. Oh, go um, for it, please. But I, I also want to say all of you need to try and watch it yourselves and form your own opinion. Like, try of and course. watch it, yeah. please. I tend to agree with this uh, um, review myself. Okay. I don't know why. It just the movie just bugged me. Okay. I mean, maybe because of the blackface or Lindsay Lohan or. Wait, Lindsay Lohan's in that? Adrian Brody's in it. Adrian Brody, Rob Schneider. I mean, yeah, Rob Schneider. But like, <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> that um, tracks. Adrian Brody won a fucking Oscar fifteen years ago. What yeah, the fuck is going on? It's yeah. Anyway, so this review. Here we go. I want artists and entertainers to enjoy the creative process and freedom, but having suffered through inappropriate comedy, eighty-three of the longest, most painful minutes of my life. I now embrace the idea that someone can make a movie terrible enough that it goes beyond bad art. Wow. And Scientologists know a bad thing, a thing or two about bad art. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was downright dispirited by inappropriate comedy, tempted to rest repeatedly and lay my weary head on my desk in a state of defeat. Inappropriate comedy takes its awful title from an equally idiotic framing device which finds Offer and his creepy wolfish grin punching buttons on a computer, each of which activates a separate sketch to an each more jaw-droppingly awful than the last. Okay. So it's like a hodgepodge of bad yeah. sketches as an Shit. app on the thing. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. It works its way uh, through an outsized checklist of racist stereotypes where Jews are stingy Christ killers, Asians are terrible drivers who are good at math and have small penises, black people are violent, poor, hypersexual, wildly irresponsible, gay men are obsessed with sex and screamingly effeminate. Um, they just recycle those tropes and aren't edgy or transgressive. They're just lazy and boring. Worst of all, it's not funny. No, unfunny doesn't cut it. Inappropriate comedy isn't just unfunny. It's fucking painful. That's the review. 
Wow. I mean, that, that makes Morrissey's reviews seem really tame. Um, so Adrian Brody, Lindsay Lohan are in a film that has blackface. Uh, it's yeah. In curlers and it's, you have to watch it for yourself to understand. Mm. Like he was trying to do satire and okay. pulling off that sort of Sasha Baron Cohen. Right. So he's going for Sasha Baron Cohen and like Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. Like, like yeah. it's either like showing the what the world thinks of the stereotypes or that people are so delusional they think they can do blackface and get away with it in the case of Robert Downey Jr.'s character in Tropic Thunder. But right. it just falls flat because he's not very sophisticated. Just thinks it's funny to make that character. Ugh. That's really like bad. it's yeah it's you missed the point of what like the satire yeah. is basically and, and that's where I say it's like punching down it wow. just lands wrong that's so terrible. but I don't know if it's he didn't have people telling him why it's landing wrong or he didn't take the criticism or he's still not taking or whatever but after that he goes back to what he's good at and um and I don't mean that as like a dig. No, no. He's found his lane, and that's fine. He's know? charismatic. He can yeah. be funny. And he's he, a good salesman. He's a good hustler. He's got yeah. uh, a natural charisma. He just needs to polish his his craft, hone his craft, or yeah. just be a good salesman, which is what he just ends up doing for a little while here. And in 2014, he goes into the Quickie Grass product, uh-huh. Another double entendre type thing there. Okay. In December 2015, he appears on the Crank Chop infomercial demonstrating the abilities of a uh, product that slices and dices foods with the with a pull of a nylon cord. So it's like a oh. rip cord chop cut. I like thing. that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. No, no, but that sounds like the kind of thing that my wife would be interested in and I would buy as a gift for her. She, like kitchen gadgets are like her thing. They're so, fun. like yeah, and like, she, like we will go into a a shop like that, and she like we can spend ages like looking at these different things and thinking how we can use them. And like I'm totally down for that. So some of this stuff sounds good. Sell it to me with a dick and fart joke. Fine, go for it. You know, <laughs> and it would I, honestly, I think it would be best if he did that. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm gonna give him credit. He he's venturing out again. In 2003, he struck out once more for comedy and entertainment. And he's launched his own podcast uh, okay. with the most original name ever, The ShamWow Guy Show. I mean, yeah. Go with what you know. Se SEO, uh, SEO wise, that's brilliant. Yes. Because right? that's go, what people will Google. Go with what you know. Do your yes. thing. Uh, to quote his show blurb, it's, uh, he promises to keep the comedy at its core as Vince invites an array of guests to join him in tackling a wide range of thought-provoking topics from discussing uh, from discussions on wokeism to exploring the spirit of American invention. Listeners can expect humorous conversations that will entertain and engage. In the debut episode, Vince will dive into a deeply personal and timely topic, his own experience with being canceled long before the term cancel culture entered the cultural lexicon. Whatever. Okay. Hollywood's John Vince, due to his content of his cult comedy film, The Underground Comedy Movie, 
Mm -hmm. And despite facing rejection from theaters, Vince's determination and entrepreneurial spirit led him to sell over 100,000 copies of the film directly to consumers. Now, I listened to the first episode. Okay. Good research. Thank you. I, um, wanted, I wanted to see what he was trying to do. Okay. He's just not funny, in my opinion. Right. Is he, is it like, because he, you, the words wokeism and cancelled, is he like leveraging alt right? bullshit to try and get an audience despite the fact he's not very good is that what's happening i don't think he's doing it on purpose okay um maybe maybe he is um he he's not telling great jokes he okay. he's using a sort of us versus them devices grifter speech okay. like he, he la launches right into the anti-wokeism and like i don't want to bash hard on his his thing because it's not my thing I, but he, he's trying to get people to laugh at jokes and wokeism and um, important topics for the wrong reasons, like not the okay. ridiculousness of the people that don't understand it, but like he just doesn't understand it, so he makes fun of it. Right. So it's this unknowing, different, the world is changing and I'm being left behind moment and he's making fun of it as a result, like, that's kind yeah. of sad. He goes really. on to a whole speech on how the Hollywood Jews need to understand that the, the censorship of any kind of comedy like that is going to lead to what happened in Germany, and you can't stop people from saying um, wow. whatever they want to say. Very quickly and, went with Godwin's Law there and went straight to the Nazis. That was, that was in the first I mean, episode. Wow. Jewish and born in Israel. Um, okay. Seems like I, I understand he's his mom came from Russia, immigrated sure. there. His uh, grandfather immigrated to Israel, was a Syrian Jew. Okay. So they avoided some bad shit, told family stories of bad shit. For sure. Maybe it, it led him to be worried and misguided. But the way he talks about how the wokeism is like Goebbels and propaganda um, in that way, it, it, I don't think that he understands that open-mindedness is not canceling people. No. It's and, saying, uh, also, don't be mean to people. Don't say mean, rude shit. Could you say that in a different way? Like, why are you saying that? Asking the questions is not canceling somebody. Saying your yeah. shit's not funny, do better. Is not canceling somebody. No, and also like I don't. I think there's a difference between canceling someone and holding them accountable for their actions. And you know, I can understand. He says, like your point here is very strong. That like he says, "Oh, I've been canceled. Hollywood's kicked me out." I don't think he realizes that he was never really in Hollywood. Kind but, of a fifteen minutes of viral fame sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean he, he was in Jack and Jill as the ShamWow guy. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> sure. I, I, ironic placement in a terrible film. That's fine. Okay. Uh yeah. Wow. I've been just as in Hollywood then I guess. I don't know. Yeah, like we've we've both had brushes with fame. Like, why would that like the idea that you've been cancelled like Hollywood oh Hollywood Jews cast me out and it's a conspiracy like it, that's where it's going with this kind of conversation with him and it's just you're just not that good B 
People get kicked out of Hollywood all the time that are significantly more talented than you are. It so. yeah. It just it seems like he the I don't know when he switched it to what he was the way he was talking in his podcast. It he's he talks about the Scientology as mm. he was in that cult. Okay, but then um, <laughs> he found just, another. It's cult. a mishmash. It's it's the internet and like yeah. we were talking about before, media literacy. Right and yep. and understanding, like the alt right and this weird thing that's happening on the internet, where you get this mishmash of these um, dangerous extremist ide- ideologies that yeah. that are really right wing that don't even go together yeah. that lead to dangerous bad shit. Yeah, and and progressively get worse as well. Like he's he's kind of at the the top of the funnel of that. We're not, you know, we're we're nowhere near the kind of the depths of going right the way down with the extremism. But that's really sad that that's where he's at now. I mean, I I only listened to the one episode. That was two thousand and three. He could be doing way better now. I he maybe he turned it around. Maybe his show's great. Maybe I. Got it totally wrong. Oh, Ari Shaffer is in that too, as uh, the amazing racist. He's in that uh, oh that that movie. I forgot about that one. Okay, I, I think I'm gonna have to go and watch this film. This, yeah, do it. Like, I'm telling everybody to do it, man. I mean, <laughs> I'll try and I'll try and see if I can get hold of a copy, but I, I think outlets will be limited. But I think, yeah, I kind of need to judge it for myself. Because, you know, I, I have a certain sympathy for people say, oh, I, I've been cancelled, when actually most of the time that's not what's really happened. But, you know, I'm willing to see what the situation is and then look at it and with a bit of, like, with a, a step back and be like, actually, you weren't cancelled, you just fucked up. And th- as a result of that, this is where you're at now. So, you know, um, but this guy... Um, very complicated person are you, are you sorry you're not quite done yet are you well no i was just going to add on to that that yeah i don't think anybody's ever canceled as long as you're willing to take a look at what people are saying you did wrong and examine yeah. it and acknowledge and not necessarily you don't even necessarily have to apologize yeah. if you at least examine and discuss yes like for real the yeah. issue the, that's the, it. the the world rewards or at least i hope it does um contrition so if you're contrite and you legitimately look at yourself and say okay what were the issues what caused me to get here what what went wrong where can i rebuild where can i grow where can i learn i think if anyone can do that if you can do that legitimately and, and try and do that for a long time then I don't see any problem with with like helping anyone get back mm-hmm. into you know a world where they are included in stuff. I think that should be the case for every single person on the planet. But you have to be open to those really uncomfortable conversations and those uncomfortable realities. I don't know if this guy is. Yeah, I maybe he's doing work, but yeah, you, it's a lot of personal responsibility and looking at yourself. For yes, real. And it's absolutely. really hard to look at yourself as maybe I'm the baddie. Yeah, it, it is very extremely difficult to realize you aren't the person you thought you were and actually look at where that started and how it progressed and 
look at stopping that from ever happening again or maybe fixing those things if it's possible. So I think um, it's, the interesting thing is that this guy could have a long, prolonged career if he just focused on the selling thing. And like, I would be open to that. Also, incidentally, you, you kind of you said at the start of the thing, you felt guilty about like somewhat guilty about laughing at some of the, the jokes. I just I, I wanted to point out, and this is something I've come to realize recently. I have a new metric for how I measure greatness in people. It's um, having a goofy sense of humor. So no matter who the person is, no matter what standing in life, responsibilities they have, influence, power, whatever it is, if they have a pretty goofy sense of humor, they're probably great people. And yeah. specifically, the reasons being is because it shows that they, first of all, they have an imagination, that they, they kind of like see things in a kind of an odd, slightly weird way. And they're willing to laugh at that. And second of all, it also shows that they're kind of in touch with slightly childish, but not like dangerous childish, like silly humor. Silly right. humor is like it's it's sign of a really strong, interesting imagination. But also the really interesting thing about people who have a goofy sense of humor shows you can kind of live in the moment a little bit and you're not like obsessed or distracted by other things. You can take time to make a shit joke like how do you turn a duck into a soul singer well how do you turn a duck into a soul singer you put it in the oven until it's bill withers um oh. <laughs> god ow so, poor duck i know it's, it's quite horrible actually but um like and I, I, I get that. Like, I've seen examples of people who you consider, you would consider like really serious, important people. And um, one that always springs to mind weirdly is Daniel Day Lewis. Um, okay. Really goofy sense of humor. Uh, Ch uh, Charlie Brooker, who created Black Mirror, like one of the most important sci fi drama shows of the last 20 years. Ridiculous goofy sense of humor he did a tv series years and years ago it's it like a like airplane only for police procedural shows um okay. we had a thing uh in this uk in the uk called a touch of frost which was like a detective like this older detective who like solved things using older methods and he had young things charlie brooker did a parody of that called a touch of cloth <laughs> which was it's the stupidest fucking thing you'll ever see in your life. It is like airplane, but it's goofy and you can see the love in that. And also like randomly, um, Tom York from Radiohead has, who has written songs about suicide and the end of the world. He has the goofiest fucking sense of humor I have ever seen from a twisted genius. Wow. And that's, that shows a sign of greatness because you can take all of the pressure, all of the intensity, and you can make a silly joke and you can enjoy a silly joke. There's something about a goofy sense of humor in people that is quite disarming for me. And I think that's a measure of a great person. So don't ever feel guilty about laughing at dick and fart jokes because actually they're an important <laughs> part of who we are. It's like saying, oh, you should like, it's like the people that say, swearing is a sign of a limited intelligence that is fucking bullshit 
It just shows that if you are afraid of swearing, you have an incredibly limited vocabulary and view of the world that swearing isn't a part of, it, part of that. Yeah, it's crazy. yeah. I, so. I don't know. I have to use it. It's a it's a modifier. It is. And it also makes me feel good. Yes. Um, but this guy, um, there's a lot here. Um, I feel like at times he's learned from his failures and other times he hasn't. He's taken mm -hmm. some lessons from them, but maybe not always the right lessons. Like, I, I yes. applaud the fact that he was like, first film was a failure. I'm going to sell it on DVD. Made a bit of money. I'm going to do a sequel. Like, even though it was probably going to fail, I'm like, I'm okay with that. Like, him doing, following his passions. You should never, ever, like, criticize someone for following their passions. No. The blackface element and the racism and the kind of oh, I've been cancelled and like the slight element of like he's Jewish but he's been taken in by like the language of alt-right extremist people like using wokeism and calling people Hollywood Jews and stuff like that's weird yeah so, it always confuses me yeah so um, I kind of can't score this guy too high because he didn't really cause that much harm, but he does seem to show a lack of awareness of his failings and why he hasn't been successful. And maybe like not thinking things through, like the joking about the assaulting the sex worker. That's not all right, really, to joke about that. Like, just let that go. You know, right. people are aware of it. You don't have to weave that into your narrative. Just let it be a thing that you've learned from and you've moved on from. Don't highlight it again to kind of highlight your own thing because that'll harm other people. Anyway, so I'm going to go with this guy. I'm going to go 60, okay. I think. Um, I didn't want to go too high because, like you say, nothing particularly harmful. And, and the thing with the sex worker... It, I mean, whether or not it's entirely true or partially true, it definitely sounds like self-defense because the fact that they were both charged with assault. Right. I'd imagine that they'd have to have some evidence that his tongue has been almost bitten off or something like that. There'd, there'd be physical signs of that. So it, it definitely sounds like there was an element of self-defense there. But then again, you know, he's he's acknowledged that he was out of control with drink and spending time with women and spending money with them and that's good that he acknowledged that and moved on from that, but then he made a joke of it. And like, it's yeah. 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 Um, so I'm good with that score and I'm good having like, this is my low scoring season here. So. Yeah. Yeah. We're all about the low scores this time. Although we may now have a slightly higher score. And I know last <laughs> week, um, who, who was it? Um, I covered that you gave a 92. I can't remember. The guy that jumped off the Eiffel tower with a yeah. parachute suit. That's right, yeah. Right um, and that's right, yeah. Um, fr Frank, Franz. Um, so yeah, I I initially said, and I, I should have I shouldn't have teased it because I I've kind of changed my mind because I came across this story. Um, I said that was going to cover a music personality. I will now be covering the music personality next episode. I do apologize for the people that may have been looking forward to that. But gotcha. That person, gotcha. That person is coming. I just found this story and I really wanted to cover it. And actually, it ties in slightly with some of the stuff that you're talking about with the whole like deceptive advertising. Okay. And also Lindsay Lohan. So <gasps> I know, yeah, I'm going to get to that now. So let me tell you the story 
of power balance and the power of marketing. Oh. So uh, also, before we get going, uh, I've pulled this from a number of sources, um, CNBC's own website and a couple of stories as well, just little bits here and there, also Wikipedia. But also, um, I want to acknowledge and credit um, the amazing YouTube channel Baseball Doesn't Exist for a lot of this information. A fucking great name for a YouTube channel, I have to say. They do some of the best, like, short-ish longer form baseball documentaries that i've seen in a while they're usually like 25 minutes or something really good stuff it's not strictly about baseball but that's kind of the majority of their focus and this one wasn't it was about power balance and i will talk to you about the power balance bracelets and the the craze around that now you remember now don't you i think i do you remember. Okay, so <laughs> let me tell you. In the late 2000s, Power Balance bracelets became a hugely successful product. Seemingly overnight, they were worn by athletes and celebrities like Shaquille O'Neal, Lamar Odom, David Beckham, Lindsay Lohan, Jared Butler, uh, Diddy, Leonardo DiCaprio, Cristiano Ronaldo, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and even Robert De Niro wore these oh, fucking damn. things. I know everyone was wearing them. Star-studded. Um, it's crazy. None of them were paid to wear that shit. Oh, Not damn. A single one had an endorsement deal. In its first year of operation, the company had sold around $8,000 worth of bracelets. By 2010, more than $35 million was made in that year from, just, from just bracelets. And they had other stuff. So. Okay. Yeah, so, um, all those celebrities are wearing them, and they're none of them are paid. Not a single one did, is paid. Did they just give them to them? They, they yeah. saw them, they heard the claims, and they wore them, and it was the best free advertising because these are all high-profile, successful athletes yes. and actors and famous people, and some of them are claiming actual health benefits. From these silicone and hologram bracelets, and we'll we'll talk about how this all happened. Now, the craze was so big at one point that one in every ten people in Japan had one, and none of the people listed above, as I've just said, were paid to wear them. Every single one of them wore it because they believed it improved their health or their performance. They saw it on someone else. They wore it. The paparazzi got a picture of them. They were on the front cover of Sports Illustrated. They were pictured in the newspapers because it's baseball, basketball, football, whatever. And it is the greatest free advertising probably of all time. Yep. Um, a woman from Canada, not, not even knowing what it was, she just put it on, had chronic pain from two wrist surgeries. She had that completely disappear after putting one of these power balance things on. It healed legendary baseball manager Clint Hurdle's elbow pain. And after batting, uh, battling neck pain for four years, Kurt Schilling said he put one of these on and hadn't felt and hadn't had a stiff neck since. That was he. He was a, he was a Diamondback. He played here in Arizona. Yep, and he was part of the two thousand and four um, Red Sox team yeah. that broke yep. the curse of the Bambino. And I will get to that because that's a very important moment in this product's um, success story, or at least one of them's. Um, so that's kind of you are probably any of you who are old enough to remember the craze that was the power balance will probably have a picture in your mind of 
people wearing them. They were everywhere for a long time. But to understand the power balance story, we first need to look at the product that paved the way for it, which is Phyton Necklaces. So Phyton uh, is a company that was founded in 1982 by Yoshihiro Hirata, an alternative medicine practitioner who founded Phyton, the company that sold his titanium-infused products. Um, the necklaces first gained prominence in Japan, where they're still popular with athletes. More of a fashion statement, and we'll get to that why okay. in, in a bit. Uh, Phyton started by selling sports tape and clothing and even shampoo before discovering the magic power of bullshits. <laughs> um, according to the company, the, uh, so... Okay, so some of these claims don't exist anymore, but this is what was said at the time. Thank you to the Wayback Machine for all of these amazing quotes. Nice. Um, according to the company, the necklaces and bracelets, bracelets work by stabilizing the electric flow that nerves use to communicate actions to the body. And this mm. is the statement. All of the messages in your body travel through electricity. So if you're tired or just or just pitch nine innings, very specific sales pitch there. Um, the electricity isn't flowing as smoothly as it can, said Joe Furuhata, a fighting spokesman who somehow kept a fucking straight face through this bullshit. Um, our products smooth out those signals. It's smoothening the signals, guys. That's all it's doing. Yeah, it's... Um... It's like one of those things that you, you put on to amplify your power through your house to make sure, you know, it gets through all your outlets equally. Yes. Um, well, maybe. No, I did that with my Internet. That's right. Yeah. And Internet. <laughs> but it also reminds, have you seen the episode of The Simpsons where a bear comes into town and as a result of the bear scaring some people in the center of the town, Mayor Quimby launches a bear patrol which has huge funding and it's got squad cars and a like helicopter overhead. And it's just hot. They're all going around the town, keeping an eye out for bears. And um, Homer's talking to Lisa and he's like, wow, no more bears. And she's like, yeah, see the bear patrol everywhere. No bears. Right. Dad. Do you not think that maybe that's a coincidence? Maybe. And like, he's not, no, the bear patrol is working. There are no bears because of the bear control patrol. Actually, it's because bears weren't fucking interested and probably, I don't know, scared off by the noise or something. But um, it's it's about smoothing those electric signals, guys. So it's not a con. According to Fighting's archive website, the secret ingredient was aqua titanium, which, yeah, okay. <laughs> they claimed was a groundbreaking technology that for the first time ever could make the metal titanium dissolve into water that's some alchemy shit yeah because the one thing you want from a really strong metal is for it to dissolve in water yeah um, <laughs> they called it aqua titanium and claimed when worn on the body it could penetrate a person's muscles and increase their health levels so you would absorb the titanium through touching your skin and it would be absorbed into your blood and taken to your muscles because nothing says healthy like having high levels of heavy metal in your bloodstream. So they're saying their aqua titanium is just like mercury, but good for you. Good for you and strengthens you. It gives you yeah. health because metals. Um, after years of trying to find um, suckers gullible enough <laughs> to buy into their products, uh, they found their way in baseball. 
um, which is filled with people that are so superstitious. They'll yep. wear the same items of clothing for literally years at a time because they think it brings them luck. It was the perfect market for them. What was that? Mark McGuire, who yeah. like grew like a half a foot when he became the majors, he was still wearing the same cup that he wore in high school because he thought it made him a better baseball player. Oh. Um, I, I found an, I, I went down a rabbit hole of finding baseball superstitions. The New York so Yankees many. and their magic gold thong. Oh, God. Um, that was I a thing. Yeah, apparently if a player was off, uh, they would make him wear the magic gold thong to improve his game. Apparently that was a thing. Turk Wendell would brush his teeth in between innings every single inning because he thought it made him a better baseball player. So, yeah, the thing is, hmm? the thing is, is with the with baseball being being a baseball person. Yeah, there's there's a psychology to that, though. Yes, Um, exactly. It's trusting the process. It's (laughs) not it's not the thing that's doing it. It's the way you perceive what the thing is doing for you that's doing it. It's mm-hmm. you. Okay. Uh, Team Sky, who were a cycling organization, ironically, no positive drug tests for once in cycling. Um, <laughs> they used to do this thing where the, when the team went on tour for the Tour de France, they would ship the cyclists' beds from their home to their hotels all up and down the the Tour de France so that they could sleep in their own beds. So they knew that their expensive beds from home would be in the hotel and they could fall asleep in their nice expensive beds that was theirs. And everyone else was just sleeping in the standard hotel beds. So Mm -hmm. they would come into the race the next day and go, I'm nice and rested. I slept in my bed. You slept in some fucking stranger's bed. They probably masturbated on hundreds of times. <laughs> but like it it's not helped them really perform in any it's just the psychological edge knowing that I've slept in my own bed. I feel more relaxed and comfortable. So it means that they perform better. It's not helped them physically. It's entirely psychological. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Well, and ma- baseball is such a mental game that Yes. Yeah, yeah, I can see how but, they would buy right into it. Exactly. And all you're doing is you're taking all of those crazy superstitions and you're going, this, here, put that on. That does it all. Um, so Randy Johnson brought them from, he, he went over to Japan, he brought them back to America where they slowly spread when Kurt Schilling himself was pictured pitching with a bloody sock after an experimental surgery was performed on him in the fucking Red Sox training room. Who does that shit? Uh, yeah. That's crazy. Uh, and yeah. his foot just started bleeding in the middle of this series. And while the cameras were focused on him, they also caught his fighting necklace and it just took off from there. Most of the 2004 Red Sox were wearing fighting necklaces when they broke the curse of the Bambino. So as a result of that, over 200 baseball players were pictured wearing them the following year. Most of them swearing they uh, made them play or recover from injuries instantly or faster. Um, None of them were being paid to wear them. They were just like, it works for him. I'll try it. Oh, look, it seems to work for me as well. Um, it's, it's like Von Dutch. Cool. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's there's no snake oil required. This shit sells itself. 
Um, in April 2005, Fighting sold 3,500 bracelets in America. By August of the same year, that number had jumped to 24,500 in just a matter of a few months. Because, and this isn't an ad, they'd spent no money on advertising. This is just wow. other people wearing it. So they'd gone up seven times just from athletes wearing their necklaces. They expanded their line to include double bracelets, so like interwoven, worn around the neck sort of thing. Um, a model called the X30, which had 30 times the titanium in it than normal bracelets. And uh, that one cost $32. The best one, though. Why, why was, was it not the 30X? Why is it the X30? It's I backwards. Know. Because X... As we know now, X is powerful with letters and stuff. <laughs> um, and the best one was the X30 tennis players model. So slight variation. All of the titanium is at the front. It's quite tight. It's a bit of a choker. But because it's uh, tennis and that market is awash with money and rich people, um, that specific model of the X30 cost $168. What's different about it? It's just tighter, just slightly different design. Slightly, I mean, you can adjust the tightness, but it's it's just. Did it have like diamonds on it, like a diamond it's, tennis? No, necklace? no diamonds, just titanium and a bit of thread. That's oh. it. One hundred and sixty-eight bucks. Um, every single independent doctor and scientist who assessed them said that they literally did nothing. But Fighton's own website claimed the bracelets and necklaces were effective for the temporary relief of pain from. Bursitis, sciatica, tendonitis, headaches, certain types of arthritis, and even premenstrual syndrome. Okay. What? So if you're a good partner, get the woman in your life a fighting necklace. Yeah. Here you go, honey. I've solved your PMS. Yep. Wear this necklace. Put this on. Get some liquid titanium up in you. And stop complaining, for God's yeah. sake. <laughs> You're better now. Get over yeah. it. I fixed you. <laughs> um, the sec- I know. The second, the second they became popular in America, though, they immediately backed off these claims, saying that they make no medical claims, despite the fact they literally did six months earlier. Because in Japan, you can get away with saying that shit. But in America, people sue. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, none of that made any difference, though, because by 2009, so just uh, four years later, they were selling $200 million worth of products worldwide. I got to make up some bullshit product and sell it to yeah. baseball players. Why can't we just all lie and make a shitload of money? Mm-hmm. Um, however, in America, they were mostly limited to the baseball market. Um, so the other markets celebrities, other sports, other performance things. That's where power balance comes in. They see that Fighting have done really well with like baseball and the baseball kids. Like all mm. the kids are wearing it at practice and going home and like they've got the, they've literally they've solved the age aging out issue. So these kids are starting to wear and they they start playing baseball at like what? What's little league? Like six, oh, five? Yeah, seven, eight, yeah. So six, like seven, they they put the fighting thing on and then they see these guys in their mid to late thirties who are still wearing fighting nexus. So you've got that product in that person's hand for 30 years. Oh my gosh. No <laughs> aging out. It's genius if it weren't awful. Um but power balance were like we want we want that. 
we want the rest of the pie. They've only got baseball. We're going to have the rest of it. So they didn't see any success until 2008 when their co-founder somehow got a job working at the famous Elite 11 quarterback camp where he started pitching the product to elite athletes. For like the previous two years, he'd just been at like trade shows and okay. like public demonstrations and stuff, but he got his way into the Elite 11 quarterback camp and suddenly he was like, here you go, guys, you can have them for free. I'll give you a few. He's like three or four. Give them to your family. Like, go, you can wear them out on the town. Like, we don't worry about the photographers. You know, um, in 2007, they sold just $8,000 worth of product in America. But by 2008, their products had been featured on the cover of Sports Illustrated twice, um, boosting their sales into the millions off the back of the athletes that wore them for free and the ridiculous claims they made. Now, we've, we've just covered the liquid titanium thing. And elements of that, like, you can hear that. And, you know, you're familiar with things like, oh, I need more iron in my diet. And you kind of, like, it it sort of works. Titanium, iron, in your blood, like, health benefits. Like, it kind of works in your mind, right? right? Power balance, on the other hand, went complete science fiction with this shit. Um, They claimed that they could use vibrations to stimulate red blood cells and improve the communication between your cells. Your bioelectrical energy powers would work with the power balance's quantum hologram to strengthen life-enhancing information. He's still with me. Did it vibrate? No. It's a fucking sticker. (laughs) (laughs) It's a sticker. Do you remember those toys in the 80s when you were a kid and you had like G.I. Joe and you had He-Man but then yeah. you had like those those toys and they had like a hologram on their chest with like a snake and a lion and shit. What, yeah. what were they called? Those uh, those things? Gosh, I don't know but I know what you're talking about. It's like indented yeah. and it like it's sometimes yeah, it'll and peel out and then it's yeah. A whole different series of them. It's like that only much cheaper and like slapped wow. on a silicon bracelet. It's the bo- bottom rung of hologram technology. We're not even talking like um like computer game or or fairground attraction like really cheap holograms and they're claiming that it's nanotechnology. The hologram they say was made by a proprietary sonic formula only known to them of course which required which required photonic engineering which is not something that was even possible at the time um that converted Sonic waves into light. Also not something that could be done at the time. Um, Can it be done now? I don't know. I don't think so. I think these are just words. It sounds like an Elrond. It sounds like Scientology. Doesn't it? You know, fucking Xenu and shit. Like It just sounds like absolute garbage. The guy who created this technology is on LinkedIn. He has less followers than me. He oh, is gosh. the guy that claims he's like, I came up with the technology behind stuff. And then actually you look through it and he's like vibration consultant for this homeopathic thing. And it's just like, okay, like there's alarm bells going off. And um, I wish I could believe in myself so much. I know. Like just, and he's, he's made so much money anyway. People wearing them often felt better balance, strength and uh, flexibility and range of motion apparently, but 
By the time people started buying them, those claims were wiped off their websites <laughs> straight yeah. away. They're like, get rid of the sci-fi stuff. Um, we're going to replace it with a balance test that anyone can do anywhere at a party, uh, a trick, in a bar. You hold your arms out, like uh, directly out, as if you're like doing the drunk test where you've got to touch your nose and your arms start out at the side thing. Right. Um, and you've got to like you've got to lift one of your legs slightly up off the ground, and um, someone pushes one of your arms down and you lose your balance. Right. And they're like, yeah. Ah, you have bad balance. Now you fell because your balance was unequal. You couldn't hold your balance properly. I'm going to put this bracelet on and it's going to improve your balance. Then they put the power balance bracelet on you and you magically have better balance and can't be pushed over so easily. The thing is, this is a psychological trick that works by getting your brain used to something and then having it perform the same thing again the second time because naturally you get better at something the more you do it, especially immediately afterwards. The bracelet does nothing. Your body and brain is just adapting. So you do this thing, you're like, okay, I want you to stand on one. You don't know what's going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. You just put your arms out, your leg gets lifted up, and then some fucker pushes you over, right? That's basically what's happening. And he's like, aha, you have bad balance. I did this thing. I pushed you down, and your balance wasn't good enough. That's why you fell over. Your brain fucking hears that, and it's like, right, I'm going to do better this time. And like, you, you resist more. Because you right. know where that person's going to push. You know how hard they're going to push. So you compensate with your, right. your own balance. In the meantime, they've slipped one of these fucking things on your wrist, and they're claiming that it's that that's doing it, instead of your brain and the miracle of evolution that we've been on yeah. dance with over the last 200 million years. So cynics tried the test with non-powered bracelets and got exactly the same results. So they were just getting like... No. Yeah. <laughs> so you like if you've ever been to like a swimming pool or like a gym and you've got one of those like like locker keys and it's maybe attached to it like a little like silicone bracelet thing that you put around your your leg or your hand or whatever. Um like that that's what they used. They were like, Oh, uh -huh. this is the power of balance bracelet. I'm like, oh okay, I'm gonna be fine. But actually there was there's nothing there. It was just a basic just silicone a scrunchy. Ring. Just a scrunchie, yeah. They could have just used a fucking pink scrunchie and it would have been the same result. When the participants were told the bracelets didn't have the hologram in, they either got really embarrassed or really angry. <laughs> you yeah. tricked me. And they're like, no, you don't understand. You have been tricked. Like, that's, what's, that's what they're doing. We're just here to prove that it is a trick. We're not doing this to insult you. Yes, you have. You've made me, you've made me doubt myself. Um, people tried that trick at parties, bars, everywhere, and it worked people bore into it people found health benefits whenever they put them on one man oh this is this is where it gets really horrible there was a woman who had really bad arthritis and she said she put it on she did a bit of yoga in the morning and it cured her arthritis one man had been through chemotherapy he claimed that he put this thing on and it stopped him from throwing up well i mean if it worked for him i know placebos can be yeah. huge placebo like... effects are a thing um the problem is is that the way the product is being marketed it's eventually going to get discredited and any possible placebo effect that all of these people these baseball players these whatever a feeling the second it's discredited um it's gone the placebo effect is gone because they realize 
Yeah. Well, and you also put up the opportunity that people are going to forego real treatment yes. in lieu of chasing the placebo thing that's doing jack shit. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, like, you're, you're telling me that I don't have to take these horrible poisonous drugs that are making me slowly better, even though I feel worse, and just put on a silicon bracelet? Wow. Um, the negative reactions grew over the years, and Power Balance just kept on ignoring the critics to the tune of $35 million in the US in 2010 alone. Just one Damn. country. Yeah. $35 million in one country in one year. The royal family were pictured wearing them. The winner of the World Series of Poker was seen wearing one. They were success. They were so successful that they bought the rights to name the Sacramento Kings Arena, and they changed it to the Power Balance Pavilion. Oh, wow. <clears throat> which decent name? Yeah, I, I'm on board with that. It's kind of a good name for a sporting arena. It's got a bit of bit of gravitas, and I think you need that with sports teams, especially the arenas. There has to be a, like a a little bit of power and name recognition there. Dude, my favorite was when the Pink Taco restaurant was trying to name the Cardinal Stadium here, and they wanted it to be Pink Taco Arena. And I'm like, fuck yes. Yes, do yes. that. That's so <laughs> stupid. I love it. Uh, but it, the, um, So we'll get we'll get back to that sports thing in a minute because like that, that changes. Um, that year, 2010, they won CNBC Sports Product of the Year and the Shonky Award for Biggest Rip-Off Slash Scam of the Year from a different oh. organization. So CNBC are like, you're clearly the best product. You've inspired all of these knockoffs. Here you go. And someone else was like, this is a complete load of bullshit. We're giving you this award. So, yeah. Their website removed all traces of health claims, changing their blurb from that fucking like sound-to-light bullshit into... Uh, believing various, they believe in various um, holistic practices and Eastern philosophies. Aha. Uh -huh. So, like Confucianism? Like, what? Like, what do you mean, Eastern philosophies? You, you can't just say that. That's not a catch all phrase. Well, maybe because they're thinking, what, what is it? Tai Chi, where they do the energy thing? Maybe, maybe. that's. Weird. Loose, loosely linking it to that, maybe. Maybe. But also, like, this is on the, the US website. So, like, Anything east of the US, like that could be like that could be the UK. Like you just believe in like that's east of the UK. So that's Eastern. Like that's yeah. really unspecific. That's the full statement, just Eastern philosophies. Well, we, um, we hear hear that and we just think that it's mysterious and fucking totally gonna work. Exactly. And that's what they're banking on. It's it's the kind of the same thing that um all these kung fu masters believe, like they use to con people out of their money with the chi bullshit and stuff mm -hmm. you know um they did this specifically because uh the lawsuits were starting to gather steam um in 2010 the spanish health department fined them 15,000 euros and the italian health department fined them 300,000 euros for deceptive advertising and in australia the government was investigating them for breaching their trade laws for de uh, deceptive practices around advertising all this led them to release a statement that said, we admit that there is no credible scientific evidence that supports our claims. They offered refunds to all of their Australian customers. And according to them, the Australian government even threatened athletes who endorsed the product. The Aussies were out for blood. Yeah, damn. Shit. Um, 
This led to them going bankrupt in Australia. Just Australia, though. Yeah. Like, uh, we'll, we'll, like, I think that's them going, we'll just shutter this thing and just like hope it goes away. Because if they'd stayed around and tried to sell the products, the story would have keep gathering steam and there would have been more reports and stuff. And they're just like, no, let's just get rid of it. However, it didn't work because within a year of this admission that there's no scientific basis for their claims whatsoever, they had 18 separate cases pending in the American federal court system at once. Whoops. Yeah. Everyone started suing them. Even Shaq and Lamar Odin were being sued over their endorsement of this company. Oh, That's damn. when you know you fucked up. So... Getting Shaq's sued for endorsing me. something you get paid to endorse is some bullshit. I know. It's so crazy. Familiar Wilsons, welcome to the podcast. You've joined us just as we're talking about the absolute downfall of the power balance bracelet phenomena. Um, yeah, so... Shaq and Lamar are getting sued just for wearing these fucking things. And as a result of that, as soon as the athletes are being sued for wearing these bracelets, they just take them off. All of them take them off. And as soon as the athletes take them off and people do uh, a little bit of research into the crazy science shit, um, everyone is embarrassed. They take them off. And... Eventually, the company settled out of court to the tune of $57 million. Whoa. Yeah, which, depending on which source you believe, puts them at between 10 to $50 million in debt. So they had very... They had a, their margin for error was slim, really. Yeah, well, but they made $35 million just that one year. I know. Where's the money going? Hmm. And it's Dude, like... Lawsuits, I guess. I, I guess so, but like maybe they were building up a war chest because they knew it was coming. But like, this is a silicon bracelet with a tiny hologram on it. That's like pennies to make Fo- that thing. Photon pseudoscience is expensive. Photos. Yes, that's right. They've <laughs> got to conduct their research into turning sound waves into light that yes. like balance out your cells and beam you up i don't know dude Uh, it's really expensive white powder that the scientist was using in these really thin lines that he was turning yeah stuff into light sound into light i've invented a new thing let me quickly write it down oh my god it's taking bump after bump uh they quickly filed for bankruptcy and everything went to hell people stopped wearing them athletes denied they wore them and the power balance pavilion which was gonna be a thing became the sleep train arena. Oh gosh. No. <laughs> yes. Just the don't sleep. name stuff if you got a bad name like that. I the mean sleep train arena. You know, it's Madison Square Garden, Wembley Stadium, the sleep train arena. Like, what do they have? Like you gosh, you what would you think that they would have at a sleep train arena? I I don't, I don't know, but at my age that sounds like a good time. You know, just like a venue with a train. Maybe each carriage is just like a little bed and you can go to sleep and you can stare up at the stars. That sounds kind of relaxing to me. I'd go to that. Okay. See, I was just picturing a bunch of people all in like some sort of like massage circle and then they switch and everybody eventually just falls asleep. That sounds good too. Like (laughs) sleeping, massage, an arena where a train goes around gently under the night sky and everyone's in a bed and they're looking up at the stars. 
I'm all for that. I'm, I've changed my mind. Power Balance Pavilion can get fucked now. I'm at the Sleep Train <laughs> Arena for life. Um, Power Balance, as a result of all of these lawsuits, sold their entire company to a Chinese manufacturer for just $8 million because they owed huge sums of money to them. So they were just like, here, take it. Take it all. Uh -huh. Take it. We'll, we'll we'll throw in the DVD section in the back. Just, just take it all. We've got all the crap, the tables, the chairs, everything. Um, yeah, probably because at this point, no one was believing their claims because it basically sounded like a fucking late era Beatles song lyrics, like some of that shit. Um, how about was this? How about the Smoothie King Center, home of the New Orleans Pelicans? I kind of like that too. I dig I that one though. Oh, do, do, yeah. you, do you hate that one? No, I dig it. Smoothie King Center. Yeah. Yeah. I'd go there. I mean, imagine if you go in and you get like a slight discount on smoothies. I'd go to it. To be honest, if there was a, if there was an arena called like the All You Can Eat Chinese Food Buffet Arena, I'd be there. Like, oh. you mean I can have a, a reduced All You Can Eat Chinese Buffet and I can watch a sporting event? I'm all for that. I could make friends at this place. <laughs> you know? Like, that sounds good. Um, so, yeah, I, I would be there for that. Anyway, Power Balance sold their entire company to this Chinese manufacturer. The same year, Fighton, you remember them with the necklaces and the, yeah. the liquid titanium, um, also settled out of court for a significantly smaller uh, fee of just 3.2 million and offered full refunds. So they are still fine fighting, still going to this day. Um, and um, amazingly, so are Power Balance. You really? go to power, powerbalance.com is still a thing. You can go on to powerbalance.com today and buy an $86 mouth guard. And I just want to read you the blurb for this. There's a bunch of products on there, but there's a mouth guard. And I Better caught grow my teeth back. <laughs> make you the most amazing man no it's an 86 dollar mouth guard that unlike traditional mouth guards designed only to provide oral protection protection the premise behind power up is to deliver multiple physiological performance benefits by incorporating innovative technology to properly align the jaw and the spine through optimal positioning of the bite Okay. They're still doing it. They're just using buzzwords and making shit up. And like, here, put this mouth guard in, and it'll just—it's going to magically align your chakras. I don't. Uh, I, you know, the thing is, I feel like maybe the world and marketing has caught up with Power Balance. Oh yeah, where they're making these stupid, insane claims that they admitted had no scientific basis. They're still doing it. They've pivoted slightly, and now nothing. You're not going to hear about any lawsuits about them. But honestly, if you're paying $86 for a mouth guard, what the fuck is wrong with you? But like, it, it, like if you're going to pay for a mouth guard, make sure you go and get it like fitted to your mouth so that it fits perfectly. You can get that done through dental and stuff, and that's going to be much better. Don't buy something that is designed to... Um, properly align the jaw and the spine through the optimal positioning of the bite. That's garbage science. You would definitely want somebody that did x-rays and took impressions of your mouth to do that sort of yes. thing. 
do not get your science or your um, medical knowledge from marketing people. They don't know what they're talking about. And a lot of the time they're lying. It's like getting all of your opinions from Twitter. That's the equivalent I can think of. Don't do that. And that's the, that's where we leave power balance. So they went bankrupt. They were sold to a Chinese manufacturing firm, and they're still making claims like that to this day. Fighting, I, I didn't really research into them because they were a little less pervasive, but like it's basically a situation where a few people in sports kind of got hold of these products, felt some sort of psychological benefit that they attributed to these bracelets, and then all of a sudden everyone thought that they were getting the benefits from them. And and Kimberly's got it right. I am in the wrong business. I have a silicon bracelet that will block all space aliens and lizard people, negative energy. We are, I mean, seriously. I need that one. Yeah, because like David Icke is missing a trick if he's not... Pa- like I mean, Alex Jones was selling boner pills from Rhino Horn or whatever it was, but that's what we're talking. That's the level of crazy we're talking about here. My silicone bracelet also gives you boners while it's blocking the alien abductions and lizard people thought processes, and also makes you more of a man. Let's not forget that it makes you more of a man. No, you got to buy the mouth guard for that. Got to buy the mouth guard to be a man. Got to walk on. I got a properly aligned George Spine. So. So that's the story of power balance and to a lesser extent fighting as well. I feel, and and eventually it's interesting because both products eventually came out and said, listen, um, we're just a cool sports thing that people like to wear that gives them confidence. Eventually they came out and said that. But what they had to say is in the past, we made medical claims that are not backed by any science or, or anything at all in the real world or realm of possibilities. It's kind of crazy that this was a thing for a very long time, for five, six years. And I saw them everywhere. I saw people wearing power balance bracelets everywhere. Never realized, I knew it was bullshit, but I never realized how pervasive it was. I guess I didn't realize it either. And like, I never really thought about it. I, I don't, I guess don't buy into a lot of that stuff. Often. Cynicism is good. Yeah, that voice that tells you this is too good to be true. Just be careful. Take a step back. Maybe look into this. Listen to that voice. That's like evolution's put that there for a reason. Yeah. Well, it just sucks that they they admitted to it. So I like I want to lower their score, but I, they should have <laughs> like led with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the thing that bothered me the most was like. The stories that I wonder if someone inside the company heard these stories of the guy who was doing chemotherapy and who was made to feel better by wearing one of these, or like the elderly people that felt like it was curing their arthritis. I wonder if they heard that and felt bad enough and maybe they wanted to whistleblow because, like, that kind of stuff that wouldn't sit well with me knowing that this product that I know is clearly fake and that I've made up a sci fi story around its claims was making people feel this way. I'd feel terrible about that. Yeah, but I mean, I guess who knows when if you were in the company and you bought into it, maybe you believe a lot of people believe their own bullshit. They yeah, really do. Maybe I believe true. my own bullshit. I, I think so. The very fact that you're asking that question means that you don't. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, it's like the psychopath thing. Like, if you ask yourself, Am I a psychopath? then you're not. 
because psychopaths um, don't care if gotcha. they are. <laughs> they don't care if, like, maybe I'm wrong in thinking this. The very fact that you're questioning that is fine. Derek, you have a lot of very good skills and you're a very talented person, but the very fact that you question that means that you are constantly trying to improve and hone them, which is a sign of a creative person. I, I feel like that's something that a lot of people should do more of. Absolutely Just, uh, agree with you. Question whether or not you're... I mean, don't let yourself be paralyzed by it. Yeah, but don't don't beat yourself up, but take a step back, you know, and, and look at yourself, look at the things you're doing, look at stuff you're good at, stuff that you need to build on, stuff that you need to improve on, and, and do what you can, you know. I don't think anyone's expecting you to be a perfect human being all the time, but if you're trying to improve yourself highlight your positives maybe work on your negatives i don't think anyone should ever really be pushed out of the world because if they're doing that then at least they're trying right but if you know you're doing something wrong like that you know you're bullshitting and you're lying and you're doing it yeah. anyway because i'm gonna make some money don't be a dick yeah don't be the guy who is like um selling products and then just basically stealing ideas from billy mays and, and and making his own stuff, all fighting or or power balance, who are just selling snake oil. Just don't be those people. So what do you think score wise for power balance? Well, because they came through right at the time now, which I think may have helped push things along into the mm -hmm. point where I think we live in a time now where everybody's just comfortable with like, yeah, we fucking lied to you. So what? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> what Thanks, are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to get the score higher. And because it was just so silly, a sticker on a silicone bracelet, and everybody's yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> medical. I can White stand so well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so silly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to go with the 60 on yours, too. Sounds about right. It wasn't because they lost their ass back. Like I yeah. think there was some restitution that happened there. So yeah, exactly. Like fifty fifty seven million in full refunds. Like that's that's a lot of restitution and and the multiple bankruptcies across the world. Like clearly, the thing is, and I look at this story and I look at it and I think anyone who knows what's happening here knows it's not going to end well. You know, you can see the downfall coming. It's like so a couple uh, last year. A film was released, uh, it's literally called Blackberry, at least in the UK it's called Blackberry, um, and it's the story of Research in Motion, who obviously created you know, uh, the Blackberry and the story of how they revolutionized the world of smartphones and basically created the market for it, but they didn't pivot, and when the iPhone came along they were fucked, right. and it's a great film, Glenn Howerton from Always Sunny is in it, um, Jay Barrachel is in it as the founder, it's a really good film. I'd recommend you search at BlackBerry. It it made like $900,000. It made like virtually nothing. It's a great film. Very much like The Social Network, only funnier. Um, oh. So I'd, I'd recommend it. Glenn Howerton is like terrifying in it. Like, I'm like, my God, this guy is a psychopath. But um, I'd, I'd really recommend it. There's a bunch of like really good uh, performances in it. Uh, Michael Ironside's in it. I hadn't seen him in years, and he's still scary as fuck as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it reminds me that I feel like, and again, Netflix, if you're listening, uh, Power <laughs> Balance would be a great 
BlackBerry story. It's the rise and fall of this thing. Whereas at least BlackBerry were creating something that you know they they knew was a good product. And BlackBerry, as anyone that owned a BlackBerry can tell you, security was great. The battery life was great. The functionality was great when they weren't fucking up their network. Like it was a great product. This is lies that made a shitload of money and then lost it all. And it was always going to be that way. Anyone that could see it would know that. Super Theranosy. Yeah. Theranos. When you get under the hood of Theranos, it was always going to fail. Always. Yeah. So um, it's we don't live in a world where you can get away with stuff unless you fake your own death and run away with people's millions in a crypto scam. That's the only way that shit still works. Yeah, pretty much. Which we've covered before. Yeah. Like it, you can maybe get away with a crypto scam for a little bit of time, but now there's like a lot of people are being investigated by the FC, FEC, FCC, whatever it is. FCC. Yeah, they're, they're wise to that now. Yeah, they're wise to celebrities like conning people using crypto pump and dump scams. Like, so you can't really create a product and just lie. It reminds me a lot of the Nick Leeson thing where he was just making bad bed after bad bed on the stock market, hiding it in some random thing and hoping that no one would find it. But eventually it was going to be found. So, prepaid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, prepaid. Um, so that's um, Power Balance. And um, is, was it Steve Offer? Vince, Vince Offer. Vince Offer, sorry. Vince Offer. Um, really interesting characters. And I think the story with this one is... Um, you have a situation where something feels too good to be true a little bit of the time and taking that step back kind of helps you get that perspective. But also a lot of this is um, tell the truth and, mm -hmm. and market properly. You know, he made up lies about the products he was selling and, and really he didn't need to and fighting it like, they were on the front cover, Power Balance, sorry, were on the front cover of Sports Illustrated, free advertising in one of the biggest magazines in the world. You don't have to make up lies. Just say it's a cool product. Yeah. You know, you'll have a consistent sales record for a good few years until maybe it falls out of fashion, and then you pull back a little bit, wait for it to come back in a retro way, market it again, and it becomes an evergreen product. Just pivot a little bit. Don't make up crazy, crazy lies to sell something. It will always come back to bite you in the ass. Yes. Yeah. Like slap bracelets. Why were those a thing? They yeah. stuck around. I know uh, because they were cool. That's literally it. Like the early 90s, late 80s were a very different time. You could like, <laughs> oh, slap bracelet. Yeah, it's just a cool shit thing. Like, you get, <laughs> like those like slime in a ball in a can like just like what does it serve i don't know it feels fucking funny to touch yeah. you know it makes like, fart sounds it makes fart sounds it's great fun stretch armstrong what the fuck was that you know like <laughs> these, these are all pointless things that actually aren't harming anyone but if you'd just been like that's eh, a cool thing people like it we've got a cool little logo on it that's mm -hmm. like part of a hologram hey remember those toys from the 80s that also had holograms on them? it's a bit like that um so if you'd just done that they'd have made money maybe not you know, $200 million worldwide, but you know, made a few million, you'd live comfortably, could have grown your business comfortably 8% every year, you'd have been fine. But they didn't want yeah. to go that way. They wanted all the money now, and they told a bunch of lies to get there. So there's your story. Um, 
Thank you all so much. I had a lot of fun with this one. I was going to cover, and I will cover, the music person next week. Uh, but I got this story through, and again, I want to thank um, Baseball Doesn't Exist. Um, oh, wow. Kimberly. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay, guys. One-year Patreon member, get-out-of-jail-free card. Two-year Patreon member, uh, silicon bracelet that makes you feel like the greatest idiots. We will set, we will, th- three-year patrons will get um a, a silicon bracelet that will give you the most amazing balance just like <laughs> you will be so fucking balanced that when you take that off the world will feel like a fucking scene from the batman series in the 60s like just <laughs> canted camera angles everywhere you, you won't know what the what reality is when you take off our silicon bracelets i love that suggestion kimberly that'll definitely be yeah. a third year thing um Thank you all so much. I had a lot of fun researching this because it's just you kind of it doesn't feel real that this oh, this shit happened, but it did. Yeah, yeah, got our world. I know, and your guy, fascinating personality. Yeah, I, I hope he does good things. I hope so. I think there's still time, and I think there are like sprouts of like goodness coming through there. So I'm I'm hopeful that. Maybe he stops with the whole cancelled wokeness thing and just like, just focus on what you're good at, man. Like, you could make a good living. You could train people to sell like you. Could you imagine having the skills of this man as a salesman? That's your avenue, you know? Sell at conventions, the the positive motivational speaker. Yes. Empower people with your skills. That's a great thing to be able to do. And like help people learn from your mistakes. That's what we're all about here in this podcast. Glad I caught the tail end. Nice to see uh, your two <laughs> silly talking heads. Thank you. That's uh, honestly doing these podcasts. Thank you, Familiar Wilson's Media. Please, guys, go and search search out Super Familiar Wilson's and the podcast. Just wonderful people. I have this doing this podcast is like the highlight of my week every single time we do it it makes me feel so good i've been we've both been through a bunch of stuff recently uh we're not always going to be completely open about what's happening but honestly doing this makes me feel so much better um and glad we can do this i am too thank you so much derek and thank you all as well if you want to Follow us on social media. Go to at History's Greatest Idiots on Instagram and go to at Greatest Idiots on Twitter slash X. And if uh, you want to follow us on YouTube where you'll find a bunch of videos, then uh, go to just search for History's Greatest Idiots on YouTube. You'll find us. And if you want to sling us a bit of money every month and get yourself some free gifts and also behind the scenes scripts and footage and also special episodes and a shout out in every single episode, sling us some money on patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots. And, you know, we want to make this a full time thing. I would love to do this like once a week and bring you guys some of the most amazing stories like power balance man, maybe we should launch our own power balance thing. Like, how bad could it go? We don't even have to lie. We could just be like, you'll feel better because you've got a thing hugging your arm. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking maybe like a uh, thing you put on your nose. Like, uh, you pay, oh, a pay, like a clip, like a yeah, clip you on your nose. Yeah. It makes you breathe worse and your balance <laughs> is better because of it. I don't know. <laughs> that existed. The nose clip thing. There was a, a period in the 90s when Premier League footballers would wear this 
thing because it apparently like opened their airwaves and oh. like helped them breathe more. It's just it, honestly, it, it changes from decade to decade. There's a new thing that comes along. So I funny. Thought I had ago. some new shit. Oh, we we need to be, <laughs> needs to be something involving like maybe eyebrows or maybe ears. Maybe yeah. you go with that, or maybe teeth. Drill this thing into your teeth, and you'll be, you know, I don't know. People will do anything if you sell yes, it. Yes, they might. <laughs> so, thank you all so much. We had so much fun. We'll be back very soon. Also, patrons, if you're listening, we'll be recording a Patreon exclusive uh, for you next weekend. But until then, Derek, would you like to say goodbye, please? Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you all again very soon. Thank you for joining us, and take care. Bye now. <laughs>